Hi, I'm Dean from Galahad. Hi, I'm Stu from Galahad, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Everybody, welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. This is episode number 93. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and I'm talking with Stuart Nicholson and Dean Baker from the band Galahad. They're a progressive rock band from the UK, founded back in 1985. The band has a new album out called The Last Great Adventurer, came out on October 24th. 2022, so just about three months ago, and Stu and Dean were very kind to spend some time with me talking about the making of this record and what's been going on with Galahad, what's coming up with Galahad, their backgrounds, their first favorite record, all of that stuff. So I'm very excited to bring you this episode and this interview. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to visit michaelsrecordcollection.com. you got links to everything there, my social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and now TikTok. That's right, I have started a TikTok. I don't know how active I will be, but you can find me at TikTok. One of the other links you can find at michaelsrecordcollection.com is a link to my Patreon program where you can go and check out the different levels of what you can get for supporting this independent endeavor, and you can do that for as little as $2 a month. I mean, come on. Who can't part with $2 a month? There's also a link there to sign up for my free newsletter. You can get it every week in your mailbox. Nothing could be easier. You can cancel anytime you want, but please don't. You can write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. Drop me a line. Let me know how I'm doing. Give me some feedback. Just say hello or ask a question, and I'll answer it on an upcoming episode. All of that is welcome. Well, let's get to that interview with Stu Nicholson and Dean Baker from Galahad. Here we go. I'm very excited to have with me from the band Galahad. I've got Stu Nicholson and Dean Baker with me. Gentlemen, thanks for your time today. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, afternoon for me. I believe you're in the early evening now. And uh, thank you for joining me to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about The Last Great Adventurer, an album that came out in October on Avalon Records. Uh, it's uh, I've been enjoying it quite a bit, especially the last few weeks. But I want to start out by asking each of you, I'll take turns here, by asking you your first favorite record. Stu, we'll start with you. What was the first record that really kind of grabbed you when you were a kid? That's really difficult. Um, the first album I ever bought was Sheer Heart Attack by Queen Okay. in 1974, which immediately I just loved. And I've loved it ever since. I think I'm on my third copy now. and uh, my, my niece is very into queen at the moment so i've given her my first copy so she's very very chuffed about that but um but the first the first single i remember buying and really enjoying was actually space oddity david bowie it was a it was a maxi single so you got three songs on it velvet gold mine changes and and uh space oddity and of course rick wakeman played keyboards on it yeah yeah because he played keyboards on the hunky dory the album which which initially didn't chart it wasn't it didn't do very well and then as Bowie got bigger, it recharted and since become a classic. So yeah, there's lots of others, but I could spend hours talking about it. I think Dean <laughs> should have a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
let's give <laughs> let's give Dean a try here. Dean, uh, your first favorite record. Um, it's a it's a tricky one. I think I would probably say it's going to have to be Abbey Road by the Beatles, solely because I was about two and a half years old, and I um, scratched my uncle's copy of it. Oh, and my uncle wasn't best pleased, so my mum had to go out buy another copy, and then that was my first record I was given. You got, so you got to keep it. the scratched one. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I played it to death for the next ten years. <laughs> I suppose. So I suppose that's probably going to be it's going to be Abbey Road. Yeah. Well, hey, those are both very very good ones. I appreciate you. you oh, sharing definitely. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Stu, you are the lead vocalist for Galahad. Dean plays keyboards and does backing vocals and programming and that kind of thing. Are either of you from a musical family, or did you guys did you guys kind of pick up the ball and run? I, I, I'll start with you again, Stu. What was your family upbringing like in terms of music? Was were your your parents did they play instruments or anything? No, they weren't interested really. I I didn't have any encouragement at all to be perfectly honest no, no disrespect to them but they just weren't really into music and my mum was a bit but not my dad really apart from some really old stuff um uh, some jazz kind of stuff which ties in with the last great adventure actually which you probably noticed at, at the end mm-hmm. but um no my granddad was a musical singer my mum's dad um back in the 40s 30s 40s whatever and my nan played piano and that's <laughs> as close as it gets really to be perfectly honest i just love music and from an early age i was always writing things down and writing words down and coming up with ideas for songs and poems and little things you know most of it was just was terrible and i've still got a lot of it and it's going to stay in a file locked away and um but no and then i was the reason i got into being in a band was i was we went on a school trip to london and we were on the coach and i was with a mate of mine called dave younger who's a very good guitarist actually and he said, oh, and he's, he's very into Genesis. It's his favorite band. And I, and I was singing a Genesis song, just humming it on the bus. And he said, oh, you haven't got a bad voice. Maybe you should try doing it a bit more seriously or join a band or something. And I said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have something in common with him then because Genesis is my favorite band. Oh, well, there you go then. You go. Uh, Dean, what about <laughs> you? Are you from a musical family? Um, my nan, my grandmother was a pianist. Um, the whole family were. So, uh, just from a young boy, I was just playing, um, her keyboard, her piano. She had an organ, whatever it would be. I'd just play it. And I played all of the really, all of those real sort of like, I don't know what you call them, but those, I look back and V via Spania and tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, which were all these old classics, you know, <laughs> it's all those sort of, and she was a Londoner. So, um, you know, it'd be practically things like roll out the barrel, etc. <laughs> so yeah, that's basically Nan, Nan was, um, she was the only one of a family of six who wasn't trained so she picked everything up by ear. All of her other sisters, her older sisters, were um, were properly trained. But she, um, but they must have probably run out of money by the time they got to the youngest one. <laughs> <laughs> so she just learned from her sisters. <laughs> yes. We can't keep putting these kids through yeah. training. It's just too expensive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I understand. Galahad is a progressive rock band, and this is not a genre of music that has been particularly popular in recent years or decades, but uh, 
what no. was it about progressive rock that that caught your attention? What was the do you was there a defining moment where you sort of got into prog rock? We'll start again with Stu. Um, not really. I think it was just a gradual thing. Um, oh, by the way, my audition song for Galahad was Afterglow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and luckily I knew the words and, and, and they seemed to like what I was doing. So that was it then. So, uh, and here we are, but um, <laughs> all these years later, but, um, but no, I mean, initially I was just into kind of, uh, pop, pop music, I suppose at the time, but I graduated towards more glam stuff. So I started buying singles by bands like Slade and Sweet and, and uh, Mud and, and uh, dare I say it, Gary Glitter. And, um, and, and then it went from there. And then I got, then I found, then I discovered Queen. Uh, and I just thought, and I remember watching Top of the Pops in 1974, I think it was, and, and they did Killer Queen. And I just thought, this band is so much better than any other band on this program. The rest of it's rubbish. And, and it was just the image. I love the image of the, you know, they were slightly sort of glam with the nails and the long hair and Freddie sort of prancing about and what have you. And Brian looking cool on the guitar. And I thought, yeah, I want to be Freddie Mercury. I thought, oh, God, here we go. So, um, and I even got my mum to buy me a kimono for a birthday party. Because <laughs> uh, they all got kimonos on their Japanese tour, I think, around that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then gradually I sort of found other bands such as uh, I, I found Genesis, Yes, Pink Floyd, you know, Jethro Tull, even Barker, James Hodge. But when I was younger, I didn't really know what prog was. I just liked these bands. And as any time went by when people started mentioning this name, oh, you like prog then or you like progressive rock? Because I think in the very early 70s, it wasn't really used that much. It was almost as time went on, they were gradually more and more pigeonholed into a kind of music which was mm -hmm. to sort of encapsulate all these diff these bands that actually were very different you know rush don't say anything sound anything like yes who don't sound anything like jethro tell do you know what i mean sure and um and yeah and i just got into that i mean other things as well i love kate bush but then again there's a bit of a prog thing going on there as well um i like a lot of i liked a lot of melody but i liked songs that changed and weren't just straightforward verse chorus and had something a bit different in them and, and I liked all the symphonic sounds and the Mellotron. I fell in love with the Mellotron sound when I was quite young as well. And uh, it was a few years before I realised it was actually not a real choir. But, uh, and it's just a box with tapes in it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it, it's a gradual thing. But, um, yeah, but, um, yeah. Anyway, D Dean should tell his story because he's got a slightly different uh, <laughs> take on the whole thing. <laughs> all right, Dean, you're up. <laughs> yeah, I um, didn't have a clue what all this prog was about. I didn't know at all. Um, locally, there was a local, um, there was a recording studio and they said to me, oh, there's a band looking for a keyboard player. And I think you'd had a few unsuccessful attempts at trying to find someone. And I thought, well, I'll go along and have a chat with them. So I, I, I went over, I met Stuart and Roy, and then they explained to me about progressive rock. And it was just a, a blank expression from me. <laughs> I had no idea. And then they mentioned some bands, like it was, Bands like um, Yes, and I'm like, oh yeah, owner of a lonely heart. They're like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so like, quite uh, Roy didn't. <laughs> so then it would be like Genesis, and I'd be thinking of, um, I'd be thinking, oh yeah, that's Phil Collins, isn't it? I know, yeah, yeah, in the air tonight, or uh, <laughs> a groovy kind of love. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little bit off, but. Um, really exciting for a keyboard player in particular massively mm -hmm. exciting 
because it was just like, um, plug all your keyboards in and just play whatever you want. <laughs> so I did. You know, progressive rock is definitely the friend of of keyboard players everywhere. There's there's no lack oh, of that. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. It it doesn't encompass one style. It's it just basically is a is a neat little box to put in any music that has some adventure to it that has some complexity. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it's it's I get that all the time with people ask me that what kind of music I like. And I tell them that I like progressive rock and they say, well, what is that? And then I have to go down a whole other conversation. So, you know, it, it, this is just um, a necessary evil of, of liking the music that we like, I think. <laughs> mm, mm. Well, I guess it's a good way of explaining to people what it is, you know, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know about Dean. I, I just, these days I just see it as a kind of modern, rock band in a way that mm -hmm. has a lot of different influences including the prog influence yeah. but I, what i loved about the fact uh that dean joined was the fact that it was someone who wasn't just gonna ape tony banks or rick waitman or someone like that and actually this made made it that our made our sound slightly different and i love that and to this day i think we've got that i think over the years we've kind of gained our kind of sound and a lot of that is to to do with the sort of sounds and the ideas that dean has um uh, but st still incorporating those sort of you know nods towards prog and the original bands that influenced us you know i'm, I'm not you know someone like uh stephen wilson or someone like that who will just say oh no 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 prog, no we're not prog blah 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 which he used to do on a regular basis in the old days when it wasn't trendy you know mm -hmm. and um and uh but we've always said, said well we are what we are you know we, we we don't deny our influences but i think in the band now it's a much wider influence because the whole, the overall band influence isn't prog because like dean's main influences are not prog at all um, more 80s kind of synth pop i suppose really yeah. a lot of it and the beatles obviously yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about an album and one of the people on the podcast said something about a song being too long and it was a five minute song. Like how can a five minute song? I mean, a five minute song can be too long if there's no ideas in it, but you know that the idea of just because it's five minutes long, it's too long. Kind of, I got a good chuckle out of that, I guess. We have five minute intros. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm used to five minutes before there's any lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. True. I mean, when we recorded our first ever proper demo at a studio in Bournemouth called Studio 95, the, the lady who ran it, who was very nice, called uh, Claudette, who Dean also knows, um, 
we started recording um, Ghost of Dirt Owl, and I think she was wondering when it was going to finish because she'd never heard a song that was more than four or five minutes long. <laughs> and she said, oh, I've never recorded a song that's 10 minutes long before. I said, oh, well, you have now. We're going to run out of tape. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that is that is about half half a two-inch tape, uh, about 10 minutes, because they're about 20 minutes on a two-inch tape. So, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so The Last Great Adventure, I believe it's your 11th studio album? It is, yeah. And it's the first since 2018's Seas of Change. And I wondered, when did writing for this album begin? Or is, is this something that you just keep you just keep ideas sort of floating around for a long time and then they just sort of coalesce when you actually sit down to to start writing? Can you can you sort of walk me through that process? Um, well, we, we did have, we've always got a bank of ideas and some of those songs we'd have for several years. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly. Some of them are quite old, aren't they, Dean? I mean, obviously. The, the, the first uh, two tracks, um, Alive, uh, was, I think we came up with that original idea back in about 2012. Wow. So not we long were already after, working on Seas of Change. Yeah. So not long after Another Life Not Lived, which was obviously written with Neil originally. Yeah. And, uh, and that was around 2009-10. And then, of course, Neil unfortunately passed away a year later. Uh, but we, we felt it was just a nice thing to do to actually get that song finished because originally the idea was to, to, to use it with the Battle Scars uh, album um, or Euphoria, but it didn't really fit. So we kind of let, held it over. Um, and as Dean says, a lot of those songs are actually quite old. I guess the Enclosure was relatively new, wasn't it? I think that one was a newer instrumental i think initially so yeah. but um yeah all right the personnel on this album Stu nicholson lead and backing vocals dean baker keyboards orchestration programming and backing vocals spencer luckman on drums percussion and first triangle which i love uh lee abraham uh, electric acoustic guitars and backing vocals and mark spencer bass guitar second triangle and backing vocals first question i have here is First and second triangle. <laughs> it's kind of an in joke, really. <laughs> okay, can't really say any more than that. <laughs> but you get first and second violin section, so why not have a triangle section while you're at it? <laughs> sure, <laughs> why not? Now I remember Lee joined Galahad originally and was playing bass back in the, I guess, the Empire's Never Last era. He is now. I mean, he's a very good guitar player, a very good musician uh, on multiple instruments and a very good songwriter. When did he transition to uh, guitar? Oh, don't know. Um, no, it'd be in between. Uh, I think he's been his two stints with us. Yeah, I mean, I think he's always played guitar, but um, mm, obviously yeah. he played bass with us originally. But he kind of, yeah, I think between, as Dean says, between... Uh, leaving us the first time and joining us the second time, he was playing more and more guitar and he's been playing with a covers band locally that he plays at the weekends with. And he kind of started playing guitar more for that. And of course he was writing a lot of his own albums. So he was honing his guitar skills whilst doing that as well. So uh, yeah, no, he's, um, he's a pretty versatile chap. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mm. Carl Groom did the editing, mixing, mastering and co-producing with Galahad. Uh, this was, according to your liner notes, says recorded and engineered in Surrey, Dorset, Hampshire, and Herefordshire uh, by Carl Groom, Dean Baker, Stu Nicholson, Lee Abraham, and Mark Spencer. That's uh, Is that just code for a lot of people recorded in their own studios? 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One word, COVID. So uh, yeah. we, what happened was, the timeline was, we actually went into the studio around the end of 2019, managed to get all the drums recorded at Thin Ice, thank goodness, because it would be very difficult to record those in our houses, really. Uh, and we did a couple of sessions there. I think we did the second session early in 2020, and then bang, COVID hit, and that was it. So uh, we sent... Did, did we record things before we sent them to Carl? I can't remember, Dean. Did we record? Yeah, we did. We recorded parts at home, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, guitars, bass, keyboards, and basically sent everything to Carl. And um, I got myself a, a, a decent Pro Tools set up at home, and I and I managed to record lots of different vocals, which was quite scary because I'd never really done it before. And um, I just did a lot, a lot of takes. Some weren't very good. Some were because it was it was quite odd recording on your own because normally it's good to have an engineer or someone else there or dean or the rest of the band to say yeah that sounds good that doesn't work or i prefer that but i didn't have any of that so um i just recorded everything i could sent it to carl and uh he amazingly just put it all together didn't he you know came up with a great sounding album somehow let carl figure it out (laughs) yeah i think the great thing for stuart was um the fact that you could obviously stew you could go off into your room and just record the vocals with no one watching, listening, experiment, mm. do whatever you wanted. I think that's a, a brilliant. It was eye opening for us because I think normally there, there is a, there is pressure when you're in the studio. It's one of those things where you're you're playing away on your keyboard, and then they go right, we'll record that one, and you go <laughs> and make a mistake straight away <laughs> as soon as they <laughs> say you record it. So no. I think with vocals, it's got to be ten times worse. It's got to be an absolute nightmare for that. And then you may be, maybe are singing 95%. You're not quite, you're a little bit reserved just because you don't want to embarrass yourself, fluff your lines, you're concentrating. Mm. But when you're in your own studio, you can just go off and do whatever you want because nobody else is going to hear it if you decide that, you know what, that was the worst thing I've ever done in my life, erase that's it. No one's heard it ever. <laughs> so I think it was brilliant for Stuart. I think so. I think it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think you're right, Dean. And I think that's that, that that's the sort of dichotomy, really. It was quite scary doing it because I've never done it before. I've certainly never done it before. Mm. But it does give you um, – it, it's more relaxed because you can do what you like. And as you say, as Dean says, you can experiment and try different things. Yeah. Some things work, some things don't. But that doesn't matter. You know, you, you can then – you know, it can go through quality control later and see, you can sift through it and, and decide. And that way, I think also you come up with far more ideas. Um, and me and Dean, obviously, we did our Galahad Electric Company project as well, which was great. And that, in a way, was helping to get to know how to use it and what to do. And we did a lot of experimenting on those uh, albums and, you know, musically and vocally, I would say. And uh, which is one reason why we kind of did it ourselves. Not all of it we felt would work with Galahad. Plus, it was nice to work together and, and work very quickly and, and get something yeah. out there. Mm. So, because you know, we, we wanted to do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder in this era of of recording in home studios, how many absolutely phenomenal takes end up just getting deleted because there's not a producer there to say, "No, no, that's the one." <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's. I mean, and you guys have done it. You've done it both ways, so you know what it's like to be in the studio and having having that immediate feedback and and thinking something's good and being told it's not, or thinking something's not good and being told it is. Mm. 
Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's the trouble. You do need that balance. You need that. I I, I wonder sometimes when you get acts. I remember years ago um, reading about George Michael and the fact that he was writing, recording, producing all of his home music, his own music, and you think. He was lucky it turned out well because no, there was nobody there to tell him that it was maybe, oh, don't do that. That's a bit rubbish. <laughs> there was no one there to tell him because he was totally in control of the whole lot. And you think, wow, that's quite a, that's quite a task. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's it's, it's a, it's a conundrum because, you know, some, sometimes, uh, you know, the wrong producer for the wrong band can also hurt more than, than mm. help. So, um, but we know about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, <laughs> it's getting late, and there's a quietness on the front. We're all alone now, and there's no other place. I'd rather be We can hold on tight And let our emotions run free Together we can be Whoever we want to be Uh, it also says Carl recorded some of the drums at Thin Ice Studios in Surrey, and that leads me to my favorite part of your liner notes, which is the thank you to Clive Nolan, who has been on this show uh, previously. He's credited on the album for Gluevine and Bratwurst and many memorable times over the years at Thin Ice. There's got to be a story behind Clive Nolan and Gluevine and, and Bratwurst. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is it one that you can tell? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, or, or it, it's fairly straightforward. Basically, last it, it was last Christmas, wasn't it? I think um, Clive yeah. just invited us up, and we we just finished getting pretty much everything ready for the for the album, and we've recorded at Clive's since what two thousand and five six, I think, quite a long time is that that location. And unfortunately, the studio's closed and he's moved off into the wilds of near Hereford somewhere, which where we haven't been yet. And I just wanted to make, you know, thank him for, for all those times. And yeah, he did get some bratwurst and some rolls and some glue vine and some alcohol. And it was very cold. And we were outside in a kind of German style um, bar tent thing. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, we all went up as a band. And yeah, we had a good time. Carl came along as well. And um, it was good fun. Very cold, but good fun. <laughs> <laughs> there are many many good nights with um with clive over the years as well every time we went up to um, the studio we'd stay over for a few nights and clive would always join us for you know a few beers and a meal and oh, great times great times yeah. Yeah. yeah right good to know i yeah that that really stuck out uh, as an unusual line in the in the uh in the <laughs> in the booklet yeah so. <laughs> well it was it was our thank you obviously there's a little bit of humor in there it's, it's just our thank you for all, again all the good times over the years and mm -hmm. i think um starting to record at thin ice was a watershed for us because at last we'd found 
a producer stroke engineering Carl who kind of understood the band, understood where we were coming from, understood the sort of sound we wanted. And because up until that point, we hadn't really worked with anyone who had an awful lot of empathy with what we were up to. Um, and Carl just knew because he's in a band. He is a guitarist. He's a mu very good musician generally. And he just, he, he, as I said many times before, it's a cliche. He's a bit like our sort of George Martin, you know, almost like a sixth member of the band at times. Um, and he's very down to earth with it, with it, you know, very straightforward, no egos or anything. Just a really nice guy, but honest as well. He'll soon tell you if you don't like something, it's not very good in a nice way, obviously. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's important. It's it's important to be diplomatic about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite it's quite disturbing. Someone sort of looking at you, criticizing you while smiling. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can try that one again. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. I want to talk about your writing process uh, and it, there might not be just one process, but how does a Galahad song start? How, how does it, you know, what is the first step of a Galahad song becoming a Galahad song? You can start. Lots, yeah. Lots of, like you said, lots of different ways. Sometimes uh, we've actually recorded a couple of songs in the past, which are literally Stuart singing. And I've just gone, figure out what it is. Oh, there we go. Okay, that's an F minor. We're, you know, working around that basis. Um, mm. Other songs, Stuart um, has been, <laughs> you've actually been, in, unfortunately, given a whole completely finished production. And just just add words, please. And then many, many levels in between that. Um, I think since we've had, we've had our studio setups it's been very very um it's been very efficient hasn't it i think stuart i think it's probably the best mm. way of saying that has yeah. been really efficient but um back in the old days it was a case of recording um and then we we'd um sorry rehearsing and then recording them onto a cassette or a, an mp3 player mini disc whatever it was we had and then somehow try and recreate that when we got to thin ice Mm. Um, but nowadays we tend to go with um, audio files already in place for Carl. Mm. So it's okay. much easier in that respect. Mm. Stuart, do you so, have yeah, a preference? Do you have a preference on whether to start a song with an, with a, an idea in the lyrics or to try to think up a lyric once you know what the music is? Um, that's a very interesting question. Quite a difficult question, actually, because. Uh, so many of the songs that we've written and a lot of good songs have, have actually been written in different ways. If I can, I, I, I've got a whole bank of lyrics and words and files. I, I, I will look, I will listen to Dean's, you know, uh, song and, 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 and the arrangement and what have you and see if I can find something. And if I can't, then I'll write from scratch. Sometimes it's easier than others. Um, and a lot of it depends also on the atmosphere of the music. Sometimes Dean will write something and I think, Straight away, yeah, I've got something for that because it just fits the atmosphere. I can't explain how that happens, but it just does. And yet other times I will just sing something, come up with some lyrics, and, and then Dean will take those and mould them into a, a piece of music. I mean, Belly Full of Stones, well, did we do it with that one? I think it sounds amazing how we managed to sort that so out. Belly Full of Stones was, um, I'm trying to remember now which one was which. We did have Belly Full of Stones. Was soul therapy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. One of the tracks was certainly directly from your vocal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Directly from the vocal. Um, actually, I think that was Open Water. 
Ah, yes, it was open yeah, water. Yeah, open water was directly from uh, one of Stuart's vocals, and it took a very inter- interesting turn because it's fantastic. And if anybody tries to work out how to play that song, they'll either think we're crazy or clever. I don't know which way round it'll be. <laughs> but but um, we've got a basic sort of chord progression. Everything went fine. Then you left a gap and then you started singing again. But by now, the key had changed fractionally. I inadvertently changed was, key, not realising. Yeah. And so I started working out the chords and it would fit in the normal way. It was still, I can't remember the chord structure, but say, you know, F minor, C minor, everything. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, What's going on there? And then I'd and it was totally different. And we we've got two choruses in two different two different styles of the same mm. chorus, if that makes sense. <laughs> so very interesting. But that was because you had no. Um, it was just literally press record and sing. Well, there's there's no musical reference point, so it's That's very it. easy to clear yeah. off. But but it's good in a way because it means it ended up being something quite different. Um, yeah. But in but in terms of the more the sort of more bombastic material, the sort of longer stuff, really the music comes first, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, although having said that, I've just contradicted myself because with Seas of Change, it started off as a very short, about eight or nine minute piece of music, and short. I short. writing yeah. more words, more <laughs> lyrics, telling Dean, discussing it, thinking, well, that will work well here, or that will work. Put a bit of Mellotron there, but whatever. And then Dean ended up expanding the music, and so he ended up with a 42-minute song, basically, which took up the whole album. <laughs> I've got to so, say, I've got to say it was brilliant because it was really exciting doing Seas of Change, but it was also really funny because I'd be working on the music and Stuart would be in touch with me saying, oh, oh, that'd be really good if you put, oh, I can imagine a bit of harpsichord there. Oh, yeah, brilliant. I'll add that in and I'll do all that. And then the following day, oh, there's a great line for a flute, I can imagine. So, okay, do that one. Send I mean, we must have done about 50 versions of that because Stuart oh. kept on saying, oh, oh, it'd be really good. Why <laughs> <laughs> not? And I'm, I'm going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is getting a little bit long now. And then we got to a stage of no return where the song by now had sort of taken on about 25 minutes maybe even maybe 27 coming on to 30 and then it was the case of i think we ought to make this as the the album so now we've got to make it longer again <laughs> so it went on and on, and on. it was a fantastic process though it was such a good process because that was totally just Stu and myself like you know in a tennis court just batting the ideas back to each other it was fantastic really good that's great. No, it, it, we've it, made it, it too long. Now we have to make it longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all got very on English up in the smoke. Oops, it seems the politics is broke All the leavers have left And the remainers are all in a tiz What on earth is going on In the hallowed corridors of Westminster
We've never seen anything quite like this before A massive melting pot The public passion But no, honestly, it was, it was fantastic because I, I actually listened to it the other day for the first time in quite a long time. Because once we've got an album out, I don't tend to listen to them too much, too close, because you, you're kind of not sick of it, but you've heard it so often, you just want to step away. And I heard it the other day, and honestly, I couldn't... It's almost like I thought, is that re- did we really write that? Is that really... Do you know what I mean? It's like I couldn't believe what we'd written. Because I think it sounds... I, I don't mean to blow my... Trump or anything, but I just thought it sounded really good. And I was just amazed that me and you came up with that. I thought, wow. Yeah. <laughs> also did an awful lot of work on the music without um, hmm. any restrictions with um, metronome. So there was no metronome or click track going in the background. And it was the case of, let me play. We get to a certain point. We've written up to this point. I'm just going to listen to it. And I'm going to, whatever comes into my head, I'm going to hum it. I'm going to work out what it is. Don't care what time signature, what tempo. And it'll just flow in from the end of that. And we did that all the way through, didn't we? And it was yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely it, fantastic experience. Lots of twists and turns and what have you. And yeah, I, no, I'm, yeah. I'm really quite proud of that, actually. Yeah. Now, when you work yeah. like that, it, how difficult is that for the drummer to come in and figure out his part? <laughs> and, yeah. the guitar, and the guitarist. I think yeah. Lee was actually more... <laughs> Lee, um, Lee was... Um, it really did struggle with a lot of that to start. He did struggle. That sounds the wrong, the wrong way of putting it, but it wasn't guitarist friendly. The keys that I was using, some of the, the timing. Um, I mean, Spencer had this whole problem with the drums, but Lee just had as many problems with the guitar as well. So it was very much, unfortunately, we just went off on a wing and a prayer and just carried on adding all these bits. Mm. And um, it was like, well, yeah, they'll work around it. <laughs> they'll find a way, and they were. I and they did. They were okay with it. They weren't always happy, were they? <laughs> <laughs> but we, there we, were we times we go. But <laughs> I, I think the, you, you got to remember the context was that we 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 lost Roy, um, and we didn't actually have a guitarist in the band when we started writing that material, um, and we did, and we were looking for a guitarist, and we had a few options, and then I think it was Carl recommended said well why don't you try Lee and I thought oh that's not a bad idea because we hadn't spoken to Lee for a while and and Carl had been working on some of his albums and said that his playing was really good and I thought well actually yeah because I remember getting a copy of The Season's Turn I think which I think is personally my favourite of Lee's albums I thought the guitar playing on there was excellent and I asked Lee initially if he'd be be happy to maybe be a part of it not do be the guitarist but just maybe do a few guest spots here and there because i was hoping that carl might might play some of the main guitar bits as well but then carl said he, he did some acoustic stuff but he said he was actually a bit busy with threshold and other things so he couldn't and then i said to lee well do you fancy doing the lot and he, and amazingly he said no i'd love to in fact i was hoping you'd say that oh right i didn't realize okay you can be the guitarist. <laughs> It seems like a very English thing where it's just, I didn't want to ask, but I was hoping you would ask me, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's around every corner apart from the one we wanted to be on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for The Last Great Adventurer, did, did you come into this album with any kind of a, not a concept, but necessarily, but a theme in mind that you wanted to sort of structure it around? Um, to be honest, uh, um, from my own personal point of view, I was 
actually wanted to do an, uh, the next album that actually wasn't a concept album, the opposite of Seas of Change, mm-hmm. and to have several distinctive separate tracks and different styles and what have you, which I think is what we've ended up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone actually said to me in one of these year-end polls the other day, oh, they were very enthusiastic, and they said, I just wanted to let you know, we've, um, we've uh, we put Last Great Adventure in for uh, Best Concept Album. And I, got, and I had to get back and say, I'm sorry, but it's not actually a concept album. <laughs> oh, isn't it? Oh, there seem to be recurring themes. And I said, well, which is great because people can obviously interpret songs how they want to interpret them. Mm. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, I suppose in a way you could say it was linked because it, most of the songs are quite personal and it's all about the human condition and the way people uh, do things or react and the emotions that are showed and, and you know, and the foibles of the sort of human condition and all that and i hadn't really thought about that before but that was purely by chance that wasn't anything that was meant mm-hmm. um and the whole point of the the only concept i was consciously aware of was the the actual track the last great adventurer and tying in all the artwork with that idea and that concept which paul tippett are who we have to you know tip our hats to really did a fantastic job on the graphics um and as you probably know the, the guy on the front is actually my dad climbing up Gross Glockner in Austria, which is the highest mountain in Austria mm-hmm. in the late 50s. It was very little kit, actually. It must have been quite cold, I would have thought. <laughs> but, um, but, um, but yeah, that, that was the only real concept okay. as far as the, the album goes. Yeah, I didn't get concept album from it, but I did get a consistency from it. I do think that the artwork does tie everything together very in a way that's well, very that- consistent and very of a piece, you know. Mm. Mm. No, definitely. Yeah. So the the album starts off with a live, which is probably one of the more catchy Galahad songs, uh, you know, in the catalog. Five o'clock in the morning, a new day is dawning. Been on the road for what seems like eternity. Good times are calling, and we're all still smiling. Where did the origin of this story, specifically the chorus, come from? It, it lyrically, sort of, with the picture that is in the in the booklet as well, it kind of comes off as a sort of a song to your fans. It is. It's a shout out to the fans because I thought we've been going thirty seven years, and I've never really written anything anything to say. Well, thanks guys, thanks for everyone who supported us. Because if it wasn't for you guys, you know, we could have run out of steam or lost interest or whatever. And, um, and obviously having a fan base is a big thing. I mean, we don't write for other people. We write for ourselves. 
but we hope that we can bring people along with us and luckily we've managed to do that over the, over the years and as you know we, we don't tend to compromise too much on what the sort of music we'll put out on an album or the songs or whatever and um, and it was really yeah a shout out and a thank you to everyone who's supported us and it's sort of about that and, and it's all about maybe you know being on tour and getting a great audience and getting a great feeling at the end of it and it just makes you want to you know in, 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 keep going and uh, keep at it as it were yeah is this one of those that started with the words or started with the music? I can't remember. <laughs> that was the that was the one where um, the music. I can I specifically remember um, both Amiga Lights and Alive writing the music um, and getting really excited. But back in about two thousand and twelve, two thousand and thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And then they just got added to all of the other demo songs. Myself mm. and she got, I don't know, we've got 30-odd sort of songs, haven't we, or so, which we've worked on. And then we probably got more than double that again with little ideas, which we've all got on a server. And we share the we share the folder and we periodically trawl through the folder and see what's there. But I specifically remember writing the music for that, which is mm. quite interesting. And then all of a sudden, she just came back one day and said, oh, finished. <laughs> and it was it was a whole song. It was basically, that's what it was, wasn't it? It was there. Definitely. But like, but like believe Dean said earlier on, it was another case of, I, I, I thinking about it now, I heard a live, and I love the melody on the chorus. I thought, yeah, this, is, this could be a really great chorus. It's simple, but it's quite effective. And, um, and we, it took a while to get the lyrics to fit, but we, we kind of got there in the end on the verses and what have you. But we did get there. And the same with Omega Lights. I just love the melodies in that song. Um, and it did remind me, actually, Omega Lights actually is the name of a sound, isn't it, that you were using? And yeah. normally we change those. That's just a working title. And normally we, I would change that because Dean will just call it something, maybe a, uh, a sound a that he's using. A patch from a synthesizer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all it was. Uh, and normally I would write the lyrics for the title and then that would just be a working title and then we would, you know, replace the proper t- with it with the proper title. But I thought Omega Lights actually is a great title. And it and it reminds me of um, a place called Sandbanks near where we live, which is a long stretch of beach just outside Pool Harbour. And I love it. In the summer I go there a lot, mainly in the evenings. I prefer it in the evenings when there's less people about, basically, when it's warm. And it's just such a beautiful place. And the idea of the Omega lights was is basically just all the lights around the harbour um, at night because Omega is the end, as it were, you know, Alpha to Omega or whatever. And I thought that sort of it just tied in really quite nicely. Yeah. You... So it's actually kind of lo- I had to say it's kind of love song to a, to, a, to a place, I guess.
that's great because you guys have answered the questions I had about that song, that second track of Mega Lights. Because, <laughs> oh, <there you> go. <laughs> because I did, it did very much lyrically feel like it took place in a specific spot. And, uh, and, and it was, and it was written very much. It sounds like it was very, or, or, or I guess sounds the wrong word. When you're reading the lyrics, it seems to come off as something that was written in the moment where you're taking everything in. Actually, yeah. no, you're right. Definitely. Looking out across the harbour, across the vista. And in fact, in the booklet, that actually is Sandbanks. If you open the booklet, that is it. That, okay. is, that is, Yeah, that is the, it's the, it's the, it's the beach side, basically. And you can see the, the houses and the lights and what have you. But, you know, it's just, just a lovely spot. I mean, you know, it's, I, we live, you know, I, I love where we live, you know. And um, it's just a nice place to go, basically. Yeah. And the second question I would have had there was, uh, what are Omega Lights? Because... That is such an interesting, um, it's an interesting phrase. So I Googled it and it, it kind of come up with things like skin therapy and there was something from Fortnite <laughs> and uh, the, the video game, but I didn't know what an Omega light was. So it, it, it was a patch, apparently. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. That's the most, that's the bizarre thing. You know, it, it's just a patch, a sound for keyboards but you know again i think writing is all about the imagination isn't it it's about interpreting things Um, and it just seemed to click and uh and and immediately i just thought thought of that straight away i don't know how or why but it just it just sort of happened that's one of the great things about music is that words don't have to necessarily have a literal meaning as long as they fit well together and and fire the imagination exactly yeah yeah so it brings us to the third track, Blood, Skin, and Bone. And I wonder if there was a single incident that inspired this song. Um, not, uh, ooh, not really, I don't think. Um, again, I think that was probably one of the banks of lyrics that I, you know, part of my, in my file. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just listened to the music and I thought, yeah, this, this could work. Uh, and I got the melody, the blood, skin, and bone. Because I already had that sort of in my head and it happened to work very well with what Dean had written musically. What do you see when you look at me? What do you see? Does anything change when you hear me speak? If I change the clothes I wear the style or color of my hair Does it alter your perception? I bet it would if you didn't know me Blood, skin and bone Is all that lies underneath Blood, skin and bone Is at the heart of what we So it was kind of it was kind of written around that, and then I just had this idea of you know the fact that you know there's so much so much prejudice in this world based upon what people look like or how big they are or what color they are, and when underneath it all, actually we are we're all made of the same stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I guess what what separates us is more psychological than physical. Yeah, the thing that strikes me about this song is that it, it does sort of touch that nerve where it's it's unbelievable that as a species we can't 
we can't keep in mind the fact that we have way more similarities than we have differences and exactly. and we tend to focus on what's different and we it's like walking into a, a very beautiful clean house and there's a spot in the corner and you can't keep your eye off the spot in the corner and see the the magnificent house and room around you mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah dean what was what was the the sort of the start of that musical piece for blood uh, skin and bone i actually had there was another artist called Koberg who originally came up with the the riff and the the, the genesis of that track um and then it didn't really fit with her own music um and she um she said this might be something which could work with galahad so i took it i took it away and um we've still got all that riff or that intro and i i developed a, a chorus to work with it um added a few other little sounds but yeah basically that was um the first time i think that we've ever actually worked with someone outside of galahad to mm. come up with something so um that was an interesting a, an interesting way of doing it. The great thing was the fact that she just said, Coburg just said, just do what you want with it. So there was no toing and throwing about, you know, oh, we're we doing this right, we're we doing that wrong. Because us musicians do get a bit precious sometimes. We do. It is a bit difficult when, <laughs> when you're trying to do your own song and it's like, well, you know. but luckily she just released it let it go and just said, do what you want with it and use it yourself. So I love the riff, absolutely adore the riff. And there's that vocal line going over the top, which is a, a actually a Hebrew line. And yeah, it just had, it had all the elements in it to, to make a start on the, on the rest of the track. The, uh, the fourth track enclosure 1764, the first time I listened through the album, that was sort of the one that stuck out to me as being interesting. This, uh, this 18th century anti-enclosure rhyme gets turned into a song. They hang the man and flog the woman who steals the goose from off the common Yet they let the greater villain loose That steals the common From the goose The law demands That we atone when we take things we do not own. What sort of spoke to you about that? Because that's uh, an un unusual place to start. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, basically, um, Dean sort of sent, sent this one was uh, the music first, basically. Dean sent me this very widescreen kind of filmic type music and i thought this is kind of epic it kind of needs something a little bit different something not just a straight ahead you know verse chorus verse chorus normal song type thing and i thought well maybe a poem or something might work with it and i've got a lot of poetry by various people um in my bookcase i looked at some thomas hardy uh 
also uh, William Barnes was a local Dorset poet who uh, who one of whom's one of his poems was used on uh, when the battle is over and I I sing it or partly talk it in a Dorset accent actually um, which is quite interesting but I couldn't find anything um, so and then inadvertently I found this enclosure poem online. Um, I can't remember quite how, and I thought, actually, and I read the words and thought, this actually, although it's, you know, three or four hundred years old, it's it's still relevant. It still rings true after all these years. You know, this whole thing about those who have all the power and how everything, you know, and, and, and wield it, and we're still in a similar situation, you know, and and uh, and these days it's not about land, maybe. It's powerful landlords who, who charge massive rents so people can't afford to live in their homes and their mm you know houses or whatever and and it, it is a kind of them and us and it's sort of you know it is sort of about oppression in a way i suppose mm-hmm. and i just thought you know it still kind of resonates um and when we came to recording vocals for that track i kind of did a selection of different ideas and um different ways of vocalizing it i did a couple where i can't almost talked all the way through it a couple where i sang and a couple where i kind of did a bit of each and I think we ended up with a bit of a hybrid, basically. Um, and I was probably more nervous about that song than anything else on the album because really? I wasn't sure whether it would work or not. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, frankly, have to, I, I have to thank you for bringing that to my attention. I wasn't aware of that uh, that old poem, and and I just I just love the turnabout of it of of you know the crime of taking a goose from the common, but who's going to pay for the crime of taking the common from the goose? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you know that 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 land was it was common land, and then it was taken by rich people and told the poor people, "Sorry, you can't use that." And um, yeah, and then and then they would get hung for using it. You know, it's 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 very allegorical as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, but I love that. I I, I love the fact that it, it still rings true. You know, it still resonates. A cool little military march style drumming in the song from Spencer. Was that his idea or did somebody suggest that? Do you remember? I think it might have been Spencer's idea, actually. I think it was. Yeah. 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 I think it was Spencer's idea. It sort of yeah. added to. I was listening a lot to. It's interesting, actually, because um, I was listening to M83 um, and they do that song outro, or he does that song outro. It's the, um, the theme tune to the, the TV series Versailles. And it struck me when I heard it the first time, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's what Neil Pepper, our, our old bass player, I remember him saying to me once, um, we were trying to find a sound. <laughs> we were trying to find like a pad sound on the synthesizer. And he said, find me a pad sound that makes me weep. And I've never forgotten that. And sure enough, I was listening to that and I was thinking, M83, I found something that makes you weep. <laughs> so I wanted to try and, and I just started writing this piece quite inspired from that one particular track. Mm. And um, and then, yeah, then it was a lot later, Stuart came up with these lyrics. But really interesting what Stuart was saying about the lyrics was um, the fact that they were written such a long time ago, and yet they seem to be actually relevant today. Um, but also, that's the same with Blood, Skin and Bone. So Blood, skin, and bone lyrics were written a long time ago, but then we had the the whole incident with George Fro- um, Floyd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all, all that. Yeah, and you sort of think it became. It just makes you realise that we don't learn from our mistakes, do we? We, you know, as a human, as a human race, we don't learn. It's still the next thing happens again. So Stuart's writing a, a, a lyric based around, um, 
you know, the the prejudices, etc. And then probably one of the biggest events for for a, a decade happens in mm. terms of prejudice, and you think, wow, it's like, and of course, the exactly the same with um, goose goose from the common. So yeah, yeah we don't love. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd ask about that that military drumming because it just sort of lends that uh, sort of that old timey feel to the song and and and, and works yeah. so well with the with the old lyrics because uh, you know people don't generally call refer to anything as, you know as a common anymore. Mm. We have we have different words, but uh, it it works really well. I like the way that that one came out. Oh, definitely. I mean, when, when, the way Carl mixed it as well. It's just it just oozes. That atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When when Carl first sent the first mixes, I literally had goosebumps. I thought, wow, you know, I just wasn't expecting it to be to hit hit me so much. You know, that doesn't always happen when you get mixes back. I can tell you, <laughs> but uh, but it did in that instance. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just, it's very strong. The uh, the epic, the last great adventure you mentioned in the in the liner notes, Bob Nicholson, your dad, the inspiration for the song and and the picture on the on the cover. Tell me about Bob. Tell me about Bob, Bob Nicholson and and what inspired you to write this song about him. Uh, I think I've always wanted to do something um, to just again tip my hat off to dad because he you know because he's done a lot he's done a lot in his life and. He's getting quite old now. He's 87. He's uh, struggling a little bit with um, various things. And I kind of wanted to do something while he's still with us, basically. And um, and I just had a lot of ideas um, uh, lyrically and sort of put them all together. And again, these have been written over years. I mean, these have been scraps of bits and bobs that written over the years. And then it all came together on the, on, on the chorus, uh, which again was quite inspiring um, to bring it all together. You went, you made your presence felt Unsung English pioneer Out in the cold, in the heat of British industry Your beguiling practicality Mesmerizing those around you Your unique ability To overcome any conundrum But this song, actually, we kind of uh, we kind of wrote it as a as a band, uh, or we finished finished it as a band. I mean, obviously, me and Dean had the the sketches, um, but there are additional sections that we put in in rehearsal before we went into the studio, um, and then we came up with this sort of jazzy ending, which was so appropriate because my dad was quite he didn't really like that much music, but he loved his jazz, especially his traditional jazz, mm. and he was a big fan of a guy called Gene Krupa, who was a jazz drummer back in the sort of forties and fifties. Um, so we thought we'd sort of add this sort of jazzy ending on, on, on the end of the track. Plus there's a kind of jazzy section in the middle, which gradually builds and builds and builds and gets quite heavy, which again is something a bit different. We always like to, you know, sort of throw different things in there. We also, um, 
it started to, I think we all started to get quite excited when once Stuart had come up with the the um, the lyric content of the song, we, we started to be able to focus on what it was about. And a lot of changes, like you say, the jazz part, but also there's a section in the middle where we're using all of the, um, we got sounds of drills and saws and, you know, paper tools. And because Stuart's dad um, used to be an engineer. He was so, a basic design engineer, yeah. Yeah, uh, so it's brilliant. So it was really quite inspiring with all that. It's a, it's a very cinematic song, and you can imagine um, this song put to film, where the, you know, all all of the the montage of everything that's going on sort of dissolves at the end into this loud this this dark smoky jazz lounge. It's it's yeah, it's a very visual song. Oh, without a doubt, that was the idea. To, and I think, like you say, you get things in your head, and and as Dean pointed out, the industrial section. I mean, that was perfect because I mean, my dad actually worked for a big company. And was setting up, believe it or not, uh, radiator plants in Europe, building household radiators. And he would set up the presses and everything. And I was just imagining the presses coming down and on the on the steel, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and and it also reminds me of Welcome to the Machine on Wish You Were Here. Okay, yeah, similar kind of atmosphere, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Dean wouldn't have been influenced by that in the slightest, would you? <laughs> I do know that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I have since become slightly, um, slightly influenced with by Prov. I've, I've actually heard some of this stuff now. <laughs> yeah, you're now you're ruined. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I have. I have to admit, I have long been fascinated by people who climb mountains, and I can't imagine what it would be like to have a dad who has done that. And uh, did did you? Did you pick up his his uh you know his love of of doing that or or his uh um, doing it? Well, not really. I mean, I love the outdoors. I've always loved the outdoors. I like going for walks. Um, and when I was a teenager, he did used to take us up to the Lake District in the northern part of, of England, and we did used to go climbing when we were kids in the sort of seventies and eighties. Um, I can't say I enjoyed it that much because quite often it was very wet and rainy and cold and you know and. And also, um, we did climb some quite sort of tall mountains that were a bit like that, and we didn't have ropes or anything. I, I thought that, you know, there was a little bit of health and safety issues here and there, I thought. <laughs> um, but we did survive. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do enjoy getting out. I couldn't, I couldn't do it now. When I was a kid, I used to do a bit of abseiling and, you know, going down cliffs and stuff. But I was young and reckless then and didn't think about it. Yeah. I couldn't do it now. I, I my my knees tremble looking at a tall tower on a telly. Never mind it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the <laughs> safest hobby, I would say. <laughs> no. no. So, according to the the information you sent me, that those five songs kind of are the the album per se, and then there these other two are are labeled as bonus tracks: the normality of distance and and another life not lived. Is that correct? Is that how you view it? Oh. Yeah, I mean, they are really part of the album, but it was a bit difficult on how we were going to package it because the idea was to release the album. It's the first album that we've done in a long time, well, ever really, where we kind of wrote it for vinyl. And because we released Caesar Change on vinyl, of course, you've only got 42, 43 minutes. Um, and then, of course, um, everybody in there, whatever, what decided, all the big record companies decided they wanted to put all their artists out on vinyl, you know. Uh, you know, Adele, Ed Sheeran, whoever, and they sort of picked up on this whole thing. So suddenly there wasn't enough vinyl, enough raw material, 
um, and there was a massive delay. So that sort of scuppered our plans to a certain extent, mm -hmm. but we've been told the vinyls will be ready in February. So that's oh, something. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, trust us, because, again, Galahad, our timing's never been that great. We've always got it a bit wrong. You know, we, we formed just after the whole sort of second wave of neo-prog, you know, not, not before it, not in it, but probably two or three years after. So we were a little bit late. So, um, but it's, it's, it's been the story of our lives, really. But, um, but no, I mean, that was the idea. And then, of course, the, so they would be bonus tracks. Um, but, um, and so when the vinyl comes out, it'll kind of all make sense to a certain extent, I suppose. But as many people have pointed out, they're, I don't, they're not throwaway tracks. I think they're... No, they're not. Know, and, and I'm hoping that generally when we release now, we always try and, you know, um, put stuff you know, put tracks on the albums that are, you know, uh, couldn't be construed as just something we bunged on there or whatever, you know. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, well, first of all, I love the idea of you guys being fashionably late for being unfashionable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, prog rock is unfashionable, but yeah. within prog rock, we're unfashionable. <laughs> 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 it's perfect. It really is. It's perfect. <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you're right. These songs don't—they—they're not just stuck on, and they—and they—it's not like they don't fit in with, um, you know, the, the like I mentioned, the consistency of this record, and normality of distance. I think is a song a lot of people can relate to. Show your true passion and spirit, and show your beautiful soul. Don't be bullied, don't be pushed about Don't let him try and turn it all around Don't let him manipulate and mess with your fragile mind was it written specifically about one person it was yeah um it was about it's about a friend of mine um who just went through a very very difficult stage um in her life it was it was quite difficult because i kind of knew both the protagonists hmm. and it was a quite difficult thing but i knew who was right and who was wrong and as time went on you kind of gradually got to know what was going on and it and and it was it was a bit heart-wrenching at times, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it's kind of all worked out in the end. And, uh, you know, and, the, and, 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 and she, you know, she's fine and he's buggered off with someone else and he's happy. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Time heals all but, women, um, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, um, and, and, and again, you know, uh, being, being a, close, a close friend, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a personal lyric you know it's, it's not a made-up story about what i think might what happened it's actually about what did happen yeah um and it's the same with another life lot that lived as well as you know um that's that's incredibly sad but uh the uh it, it does like i said a lot of people i think can relate to that song and it's uh something that uh, i wanted i just was interested to know if that was a generality or like a, a composite of many things or just one story so it's that's good to know and you no, mentioned another life not lived, which was co-written by the late Neil Pepper. Um, mm. It's 
this is an absolutely emotionally crushing song lyrically. I don't know how you can sing these lyrics and and not just crack. Was that an issue for you at all? Or do, are you able to separate yourself from the emotion? Um, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah. Um, I was more concerned about whether, how, how again, those that this, this song is actually relates to, those that it's about, which again is about a friend of mine's um, son who died at 16 before that's why it's called another knife not live because he didn't even get a chance to really live his life mm -hmm. he took his gcses and that was it nothing he was exams you know and it's so sad but i was more concerned about how they might feel about me writing about it but as it happens um you know it was fine basically but um but yeah and it was kind of me putting my self and imagining how how would you feel I mean, it's an impossible situation. How would you feel um, if that happened to your child or whatever? Which obviously it does occasionally. Um, and I remember we did a walk um, for cancer research uh, in my locality to raise money for cancer research. And it was related uh, to, to this in a way. Um, and it was actually with the parents uh, or the parents of this young lad um, were involved on this walk and I did sort of walk with them a bit and we did talk about it and it, like you say it was actually heart-wrenching uh, in fact his dad said less than his mum his mum talked about it almost not matter-of-factly but you know more in a I don't know straightforward way mm -hmm. but I remember talking to his dad and um, and he, he found it very difficult yeah so yeah I can but, imagine uh, were the lyrics for this done separately from the music that because i was wondering dean what the what the process is for you to try to to try to put music with that somber mood together so neil actually wrote the music for that one um so i think he came up with the he went through a little phase um once um he found out his his cancer was inoperable i think he went through a phase he would he wanted to write a song a day for a week and do mm -hmm. do six um five to seven different songs um and that was one of those that was one of those tracks he did um we put a couple on the battle scars album as well which were yeah. and that was literally um lee uh lee was was leon no so 
sorry, Neil was playing yeah. bass with us by that point. And um, he started mucking around with six string guitar. And so he wanted to, he got himself a little recording rig and he decided he was just going to, and so he played guitar. And when it came to recording, re-recording that song, um, I think Lee felt the weight of that quite a lot, didn't he, Stuart? I think he was, oh, yeah. he was really quite nervous about getting it right because obviously mm-hmm. on the, the original demo version, it was played by Neil. And yeah. I must admit, when I, I was lucky because I knew exactly what synthesizer Neil had used. So mm-hmm. I got exactly the same, um, the same uh, sounds. I knew mm-hmm. exactly where they came from. I was lucky there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did try and just keep it as close as possible to the original uh, instrumental that um, Neil had written. Yeah, I mean, the um, there is a demo version, a, f- a full demo version. In fact, in fact, there's one on our website, I think, um, which has been up there a long time. And I loved the atmosphere on that. And I was and I was just hoping, fingers crossed, that we could still capture that atmosphere on the new song. Obviously, the mm. quality of the recording and everything on the new song would be better. But it was more about the atmosphere as well, and um, yeah. and I think we we managed it. And and I also love the way that it ends because everything just peels away, and then of course you just got that sort of vocal at the end, and it's quite a, you know an unusual way of ending an album, but I think it works. I just realized I forgot to ask you if you uh, if you played the last great adventure for your dad and, and what did he think of it if you did? Um, I haven't played it fully to him actually. I've played him bits of it and I've shown him the booklet and everything else and, it, and he did he did show an interest which is good. <laughs> um, the trouble is his eyes aren't brilliant and his hearing's not very good at all. Um, <laughs> although he's just had his hearing aids redone, um, so he said that once he's you know, he's going to come over at some point and have a listen to everything properly. So I'm waiting for that. But um, but no, he was he was very interested in it. And in fact, he looked at the goggles on the artwork and said, "Oh, they're my goggles, and they they are exactly the same as the ones that he used when they were climbing in those days. You know, the old uh, airplane kind of yeah. goggle thing. So um, yeah, he even told me what the the model number was, but I can't remember." that's amazing (laughs) wow i'm gonna ask you both this uh to take turns answering this question but when when someone buys this record and um listens to it start to finish what do you kind of hope that they take away from it i'll start with you Stu. oh um wow that's an interesting question um well i suppose 
um, I hope that it um, connects with them in some way. You know, I think with all music, you want it to connect to the listener and you want to have some kind of emotional connection there. I'm hoping that the album does. Um, we've actually had some really good positive feedback on this one. And to be honest, I was actually quite surprised because wasn't, we weren't quite sure how it would be um, received. Uh, it's very different to the last album. In fact, I think it's quite different to previous albums that we've done because mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of different kind of influences on there. But it seems to have gone down pretty well. And I, I think maybe we have struck a nerve. And I think the whole last great adventurer idea seems to have gone down well with people because we've all got relatives, haven't we? We've, we've, we've all got, you know, dads, mums, fathers who've done this. And sometimes I think when people get older, you forget that they've had a life, that they actually probably did some really good and interesting things when they were younger. Um, and you kind of forget that, I think, that sort of fades away as time goes by. And, of course, if you don't know them, you don't know. But there are so many interesting older, older people out there, as well as young people, obviously. And that's kind of what I wanted to get across to a certain extent. And also the last two songs, I just, they are quite personal. In fact, I think the lyrics on this album are probably the most personal that I've written in a long time, other, other than Enclosure, which I did write. But I think it's got, you know, again, it does hopefully um, have some kind of emotional connection. Yeah. So that's uh, what you... I would. Dean, you got you got to cheat. You got to listen to his answer. So I'm going to ask you to to the same question. Yeah. <laughs> Give me your thoughts. Well, uh, something which has stuck with me. I joined Galahad. I think it was 1996. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we did following ghosts, and the internet was a new thing at the time. And Stu. Read, read out or, or shared with me an email and someone sent an email from South America. I believe it was Argentina and he thanked us for the album and he was going through a rough time in his life. And that album, he said his words were it pulled him through. It helped him through a rough time in his life. I don't know what the rough time was, whether it would be, you know, relationship, no doubt it's going to be the, the death of someone or a relationship, which, you know, heavy things. Mm -hmm. um, but that's always stuck with me. I've never forgotten that. And mm. that is the best thing you can hear. If you've written some music or written some, written some songs and you've helped someone get through something like that, that's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And if that on any level at all, people can, like Stuart was saying, connect with it and it means something to them, then that's, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. If it, like you say, if it connects emotionally and maybe... And also, if it makes people happy, you know, uh, or yeah. elated in some way, as well as you know, uh, you know, reminding reminding them maybe of good times or, or whatever. As long as it, you know, we, we've got a, a mainly positive influence on someone listening to it, and that's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's bound to be people out there who don't, you know, who don't who don't like what we do. We know that, and mm -hmm. and I think it was Gary Newman actually again a big uh, uh, Dean's a big fan of Gary Newman. I read an interview with him many many years ago. And there are so many people out there and musicians who are worried about doing things. And, and I think, well, no, just do what you do. Just get it out there because there's always going to be someone who likes what you're doing. But also, uh, in this interview, Gary Newman said, he said, to be honest, it doesn't matter whether you're Pink Floyd or the Beatles or Genesis or whoever, there'll always be more people who don't care about you or don't like you. Do you know what I mean? You're always going to be a minority compared to the, num the billions of people on this earth. You're only ever going to appeal to a, a fairly small audience. You know, and, and that doesn't matter how big a band you are. And when you put it like that, you think, well, yeah, that's right. It is, you know, we, it's, it's the way it is. But, um, 
but again like i said we do we do we do right for ourselves but luckily we pull a few thousand people with us so it's all worthwhile in the end yeah. <laughs> all right the album is called the last great adventurer by galahad is there a place where people can buy this that helps you the most like maybe through your band camp or something yeah, I mean, we've got a Bandcamp page, an official Bandcamp page, uh, which I can't remember the, the actual address, but it's easy to find. And of course, we have our own um, website as well. And generally, we encourage people to buy directly from us because, of course, that way we don't have to pay fees and what have you. But our, our website address is www.galahadonline.com uh, for anyone who's interested. And again, we're distributed by various you know, distributors all over the place if people want to buy elsewhere. Um, stream it on Spotify if you like, like it, but if you like, but we'd rather you buy it. It's better than getting point not 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 three per stream. That's <laughs> gone up. Yeah, I find for me, I find that the the streaming services and and I've switched from Spotify to Title, part in part because they give a little bit more than Spotify, in part because they have a, a higher quality stream. But I find mm. that. The, the best use of those streaming services for me personally, because as you can see behind me, I, I do like yeah, the, the I do like the physical product uh, is, is try it out. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can try it out. And, and even on, on a very small level, you're helping the artist. And then if, you know, buy what you like, support the artist by buying what you like and, and, you know, buying their merchandise and going to see a show and that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's, that's always the word that I try to get out. So I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that this has been, it seems to be well received for you guys from the the reviews that I've read. Um, yeah. I'm enjoying it. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> other than, other than galahadonline.com, uh, where are, are you guys active at all on social media? Is, is the Facebook page the best place to interact? There is a Facebook page and a group and what have you as well. Yeah. Uh, people can get a hold of us, but uh, but again, but going to back to Spotify and all those kind of streaming things, um, I think we just view it really as a as you kind of alluded to, it's a way of marketing the band, it's a way of getting out there. Because um, the problem these days is it's a lot easier these days to get music out there if you're in a band, but there's so much noise, there's so much stuff. It's just finding a way to kind of get through all that to appeal, and it's quite hard. It's not it's not so straightforward. Um, yeah, I absolutely but, um, agree. But yeah, um, but no, I mean, luckily this does seem to have got through and some of the bigger magazines and the national magazines over here seem to be taking notice of us. You know, years ago, we had to fight tooth and nail to get any space in any blooming magazine, you know, unless it was a, a prog fanzine or something or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, prog magazine is out there as well, which does help a lot of the, uh, you know, the bands to, to get, get, get published and get out there. Um, so, but no, it's, 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 it's quite a good time these days, actually. It's a bit, it's a lot better than it was in the dark days of the eighties, you know, <laughs> <laughs> is there going to be, uh, is there a tour? Is there some festival dates? Are you guys going to play some of this stuff live here soon? Um, we'd like to play live, uh, at some point. Unfortunately, I won't say too much, but Spencer, our drummer, um, actually had a recurrence of his, um, uh, uh brain tumor. Oh, no. So he's actually gone through two rounds of chemo in the last year, year and a half. And at the moment, he's actually in recovery. So that's one reason why we've been very quiet on the life front, on the gig front. Mm. Um, and, I know, and I know Spence wants to get out there as well. Um, so it's really just a case of uh, when, when he, you know, hopefully he'll, he'll feel better and we'll be able to get out there at some point. Yeah. 
But, well, uh, we'd love to see it. Some of these festivals and it, uh, you know, maybe cruise to the edge and things, things like that, uh, that cater toward progressive rock fans. Yeah. Cruise to the edge is one I've always had kept an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, we've, uh, I think I tried to get in touch with someone a few years ago, but I don't think, I don't think I heard anything back actually, but, um, you never know. Never, you know. never know. Well, uh, again, the, the, the last great adventurer came out October 24th, uh, Galahad, Guys, thank you so much for telling me about this record and 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 giving me some of the background and, and insight into the making of it. I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the the uh, uh, the music has just been uh, it's been fantastic getting to know this record. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. No, thank you, Michael. Lovely. Yeah, lovely. No, thank you. Yeah, no. Thanks for taking the time out to interview us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. That was awesome. <laughs> that was almost that little bit of charging up. That'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. I'll clean it up in post.